0: recorded live, Welcome to a new season of fragments of silicon. We missed you. <laughs> Indeed, it is a new season of Fragments uh, of Silicon, although this isn't our first show of the season. We typically start out with reviews uh, these days. And indeed, well, the first, oh the many first reviews. interview show. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, and this is our first uh, interview of the season. It's still not our first main show of the season, but um, let's not dice hairs here. Anyway, um, uh, today... <laughs> oh. Today we have um, one Paul Brighton of DDD Wars.
1: Hi, how are you doing? Fine. Uh, how are you? Yeah, very good. Thank you. Having a good day.
0: Yeah, that's always good to hear. It was good to hear. Right. Um, since this is uh, you know this is our Euro show, we just get right into it. Uh, and we'd like to start by learning a bit about our guest. And
1: you know um, what what got you interested in video games? Uh, initially, uh, well, so I, you know, I've I've been uh, interested in games ever since I was very young. Uh, I started with a Sinclair Spectrum uh, at a very young age, and um, you know, it's, it's just something that I've been very uh, very grateful to have, you know, computers around me for the majority of my life. So it's just something I grew up with, really, and it's something that's always been present in my life, really.
0: And uh, what kind of games did you play
1: on the ZX Spectrum? <laughs> Mostly bad ones, I think. <laughs> like looking back on them, and, you know, they're they're not great. But you know, I did, there was it was that time period where there was this uh, big explosion of uh, what they called bedroom programming mm-hmm. back in the day. Like, lots of little college industries standing up, so there was a lot of weird games, which, you know, by by all intents and purposes, were pretty bad, but, you know, they had charm. Yeah. And it was just of the time, I suppose, as well.
0: Yeah. Uh, I gotta I mean, admit, you know, the European computer scene isn't my forte, but I've learned quite a bit about it in recent times. Now, it's mm-hmm. like, especially since, like, they're doing documentaries about... Uh, that scene now, like uh, like From Bedrooms to Billions, I believe it's called.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah it's a really interesting time in uh, sort of game history, I guess, really. Yeah,
0: and, you know, our audience probably really wouldn't know that scene, but um, Europe and the UK specifically, they really didn't get into consoles until much later. Uh, the 80s, that's the time of the microcomputers.
1: Yep, absolutely.
0: Yeah, that, that's the that's the, the homegrown stuff like the ZX Spectrum, the BBC Micro, although that was more for business. Uh, you know, it was like uh, the Acorn Electron and other things. You know, mm-hmm. like and on and on it goes. And the and the imports of the C64 but you can't overstate. Yeah, you. certainly. Yeah. So, um, then um, when did you first
1: get into developing video games? Um, so I'd always been interested in. Uh, excuse me, interested in coding, but um, I'd never really managed to sort of uh, build out of it, you know. Like, I never really managed to get started with it. I used to, uh, because back in the old days, uh, with the Spectrum and what have you, you used to buy, like, you know, a Spectrum magazine, and in the back, there'd be a big, long load of basic uh, code, uh, which you could, like, type in yourself to make, like, a really basic game, and it's just, like, wrote uh copying all the code from like the, the 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 back of the magazine as I say, like just like inputting it straight into it and then running it and like you know you you there was no real way to save that code so like you did it once and like then you just couldn't turn it off otherwise all the data was then lost uh but that's when I got like started but I never really did anything with it and that was uh, the end of it for a lot of years and then when I was in college they tried teaching us Pascal, which I hate as a language, but um, about four, five years ago, I decided that, yeah, I really want to make a concerted effort to learn how to code, and um, the best way to learn, I felt, uh, for me, was to learn by doing, and like the obvious thing seemed to be like learn uh, game development uh, with, to progress in learning code, and it sort of grew from there, really.
0: Yeah. So uh, I'm like, I'm, I, I'm thinking about it, and I'm like, I'm not sure how widely used Pascal is in the games industry. It's more like uh, C, I, C++ and all, all that kind of thing.
1: Yeah, like uh, Pascal, the language, and <laughs> in my I, own personal opinion.
0: I was never subjected to Pascal. I was subjected to <laughs> cobal, but, uh, yes, which I hate with a fiery passion. But uh, that's another story from the game. So, uh, yeah. I suppose the question here is, like, are you a full-time game maker, or is this something you do on the side?
1: Uh, I am full-time. Okay. And, uh,
0: well, when did you first uh, make a go of it professionally?
1: Uh, so, I started about a year ago. Um, I decided that I had a little bit of capital behind myself. Um, and I was just like, you know, I'm going to make a go of it. If it it works out, it works out. If it doesn't, it doesn't, you know. Um, I was in a uh, pretty soul-destroying job at the time, and it just seemed like it was the time to get out. And, um, you know, I just thought, eh, you know, like, and this was about the time, uh, because my timing was impeccable, that everyone was talking about, like, the Indie apocalypse. I don't know if you remember that at all.
0: Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I've heard of, it. I've
1: heard of it. I don't, necessarily believe in it, but I know what it is. Yeah, yeah. So like, uh, so I was like, well, you know, this seems like the perfect time to <laughs> destroy my entire. Life. <laughs> but you know, it, it's 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 been going fine, and you know, we're not all the way there yet. But uh, it's it's going to be an incremental thing, I think. Anyway.
0: Hmm. Well, I mean, uh, I suppose it helps to have a
1: chipper attitude. Like, you know, uh, you know I, how you feel is entirely, it's it's entirely based on yourself. You know, you're the only one who controls you, how you feel. So, you know, you could either you know wallow in despair over it, or you can just, you know, make the best of what you're doing. That's not to say that I'm having a bad time. That's not true at all. I'm just oh. aware of the reality, shall we say right and
0: i like I get where the and that's the kind of the sentiment that's you know fueling the indie apocalypse idea because well, well, okay, so for those who don't know, the indie apocalypse is the is the um idea that the independent market is on the verge of collapse, mm-hmm. and um the idea is because there are basically too many games out there there you know it's like there, you know, there are so many um, independent games and what have you that it's just all going to collapse um, up in upon itself because nothing can get um, uh, uh, any traction.
1: Yeah, mm-hmm. I don't know if I buy that. The market for indie stuff
0: is enough smaller that I think the calculation doesn't quite work out. Yeah, I'm like, uh, yeah, it's like I don't agree that either due to a number of factors. But I'm like, I see where it's coming from. Uh, it's more a question of visibility and discoverability, which have always yeah. been problems yeah. in the indie scene. And yeah, it's not yeah. like a, it's, it's not like an issue with AAA where they theoretically want like every human being in the universe to own a copy of one of their games.
1: Right. It, it, it's like, yeah, and like that's that's the thing about like AAA is that you know they their um, yeah. their running costs, are, you know, as magnitudes uh, greater. Than say my running costs. My my running costs don't even make a dent on their, you know, it's a splash in the ocean. So, you know, there's economies of scale there as well.
0: Of course. And and it's worth noting that, you know, you you talk about the bedroom programmers, uh, like, you know, things have kind of gone full circle uh, in the sense that, yeah, you know, you've got single effort, single person, uh, two person. You know, very small people doing games again, and yeah. it's just the difference between uh, the now and the '80s is barriers to entry. You
1: know, yes, I, absolutely. I mean, the tools available now, are, you know, yeah. they're so good. They're so good. Um, you know, yeah. and not that I want to, you know, increase my competition or anything, but you know, there's never been a better time to get into it.
0: Yeah, it's like, that, and that's kind of what the indie podcast Kind of ignore. I get that it costs money to make games, and it actually costs quite a bit to make even like the uh, bigger indie titles out there. But it's still like yeah. you know you've got all sorts of free engines now, and you, you've got all sorts of middleware programs, and it's just like you probably don't even know how need to know
1: how to code to make a game. You know, so, I mean, you know, I think I think that the best games are going to involve. Uh, yeah, a good element of coding. I don't think that you can really get away from it nowadays. I mean, you can use like Twine and this sort of thing to make text adventures, and uh, I don't know how much coding there is involved with RPG Maker, but I think there's still some.
0: Oh, yeah.
1: Um, yeah. it's like not think,
0: think, I'm not saying you're sorry, going to God. be free of code, but I'm I'm also saying, uh, you know, the the requisites for coding are a lot less than they are back.
1: Yes. And also, we've got some really mature uh, yeah. languages available nowadays, which you know are just really good.
0: Right. It's like no more having to code in machine machine languages.
1: Oh God, Jesus! <laughs> or assembly. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah, it's like I respect the power behind that, but I'm like, yeah, no, no,
1: no, just no. <laughs> Oh. I mean, like the the thing is that, like in the old days, like let's say oh, fifteen years ago, like there was definite benefits to coding. Oh, yeah. Number one, that the tools just weren't there, but also because um, you know the, it was a lower level language, and uh, the performance that you'd get out of something that was built in assembly it was going to be greater than something built in a higher level language. Right. So, like that totally made sense. Uh, nowadays, you know, we've got the computing power to that that sort of rendered negligible, really.
0: I, I'm sure there are some people out there that are, that will insist that they need to code in machine languages, but uh, they're the, kind of the exception to the rule now. now. It's like hell, yeah. hell. That that was kind of becoming passe even in like the 90s. Like when I think of people coding in like assembler and uh, and all that stuff, I think like the 80s. I I, I think yeah, you know, the, like the really hardcore stu- stuff that was happening back then.
1: Uh, yeah, yeah, it was a lot more difficult back then as well. You know, it was, it, it was really difficult to make a game, and you know, you had to be like really, you know, had to be really clued up on the on the tools that you were using. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, anyway, what was your first uh, game? Uh, so, technically speaking, my first ever game uh, was part of a Game Jam, which was um, the idea was to have it featuring a female protagonist, so that was like the theme of it. Wow. And my game, which was dreadful, as you might as you might imagine for the first game. Uh was called Harriet um Harriet Harriet Channels the Ghosts, I think. And it was basically like a punch out clone where you punched a ghost.
0: Uh, I'm like it sounds interesting. Like like <laughs> It was dreadful. It was awful. <laughs> yeah I'm like uh, well, it's a game jam, so I wouldn't be...
1: Sure. Yeah, yeah, but, like, game jams are a really good way, in my opinion, uh, to learn programming, because, like, you set yourself a hard limit, and you're like, well, I've got to make a game at the end of it. And, like, you'll you'll learn a lot. You won't have a good game at the end of it, but you'll definitely you you'll come on leaps and bounds before, if you, like, start another thing. Right.
0: Uh, have you ever done Ludlum Dare?
1: I have, yeah, a couple of times. Um... Last one I did, because I I often skip it, because um, I'm often at odds with the theme. Like, the theme will come up, and I'll be like, oh, God, that's dreadful. And, like, you know, I just won't do it. Um, I did the one probably two or three rounds ago, I I suppose you'd call it. um, Mm -hmm. Something about You Are the Monster?
0: Oh, I think I remember that one.
1: Okay. Yeah, so I, I I participated in that one and that was fine, you know, and and um I like to use it as like a time constraint, like uh like a scope management exercise. Because like scope's really important with game development and when you when you're entering like a twenty four hour forty eight hour type game jam like uh Dare, um it's uh you know, you've really gotta manage your scope Really strongly, and um, you know, I said, "Okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna design a game. I'm gonna make it. I'm gonna render on time." And you know, that was that was the outcome. So that that's all I really wanted out of it, really. Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, and so you have most of your games on uh, a website called itch.io, which is mm-hmm. one of the free platforms that's been making waves uh, in recent times.
1: And yeah, I mean they're really good. They're really good, really good guys. And the uh, owner, Leaf, he's a super nice guy as well. Yeah. Uh,
0: yeah, it's like, and, uh, you're the first developer that I can think of that that has gone through the uh, itchgo program. So if you could just tell us, you know, how how does that
1: go? Um, so I believe anyone anyone can post on itch. Anyone can um, sell games on itch. There's no barrier to entry. You know, it's just Completely open doors um I started with them a f- few years ago I think uh, and at the time they were really good because they didn't um they didn't take any commission uh not that I'm saying that they shouldn't because they now do uh but just at the time you know that was like um really good for um Driving interest in the platform, I suppose, Um, and I think you can still not give them any commission uh, if you put your sayings right. But they, um, but you know, because you know, I want to support that platform. Um, But yeah, you know, they've been growing quite significantly, and they've come on in sort of leaps and bounds in terms of features and this sort of thing. Yeah, you know, I can't recommend them enough as a storefront, really. They're really good. They're, they're already—they've got like a really mature product, which is, is um, really well developed. I think it works well. Um, I've, I've got nothing but good things to say about it. Mm. Uh,
0: have
1: you ever used Gamejolt? Uh, I'm aware of it, but um, I'm also aware of. Uh, I don't know. Spreading myself too thin,
0: uh, and
1: like you know, I don't think it's going to hurt sales or anything. It's just that um, right. you just got to keep everything up to date, and, and uh, it, you know, it's just a lot of work for one guy to have like so many storefronts on the go. Uh, especially itch is fine for doing updates on, but like you know, when you're doing updates on Steam, that's not like it's not hard work, but it it, it can be time consuming. <laughs>
0: Uh, I, uh, I'll take your word for
1: it. I... <laughs> um,
0: right. Yeah,
1: I mean, you know, it's it's a little bit, um, because you know, uh, a lot of it's command, and you know, it's you gotta be switched on and constrained when you're doing it, otherwise, uh, you're gonna you have problems and you can have unhappy customers who you know receive an update which just you know bricks their game and it's, it's, and uh, you know, Steam users, and, and not not afraid of uh, expressing themselves.
0: No. <laughs> I've seen this. I've... <laughs> uh, right. So uh, let's uh, talk about this game, Breakfast at the at the Cemetery. Yes, Breakfast at the Cemetery. So oh. that
1: was like my first um, first game where I got like, well, I mean. Technically speaking, it was really my second game, and it got a little bit of uh, press and what have you, which was nice, Um, and a little bit of uh, infamy on YouTube. Um, It just started really as... um, I had like a tech demo where you had a skeleton and you could control his arm, and it was like, well... What am I going to do with this? You know, it seems to be a thing. I have a, I have like this tech demo, which you've got a guy with a floppy arm, uh, and it just turned into Quop with uh, breakfast, basically.
0: <laughs> now, uh, what is Quop exactly?
1: The uh, so Quop was this fairly infamous game a good number of years back, where you controlled a hurdler's legs, and you controlled it with the Q W O P uh, keys on the I- keyboard. Uh, so like his thighs were like Q and W, and his shins were O and P, and so they I all tried playing independently. that independently. <laughs> it's like impossible. Yes, <laughs> but it, uh, I think like it's a really interesting uh, game design, and I think we've had a lot that's come out of that game design as well. I think it spawned a lot of things. It certainly spawned uh, Breakfast Tree. I'd say that Octodad uh, and games like that also take a few design cues from it as well.
0: Yeah, I played one of those games called I Am Bread.
1: Ah, like uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, again, like deliberately, deliberately difficult controls. Yeah, uh, which I think you could even see back in like uh, Resident Evil. You know, like uh, part of part of the you know mechanics of that game was literally wrestling with the controls.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, uh, uh, like the PlayStation One era. At least. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh So, uh, did the how long did it take for you to make this uh, Breakfast at the Cemetery?
1: uh 15 days hmm.
0: is that uh is that a good time for a game of this size
1: um it was i think it was good i mean like it, it only took as long as it it was it needed really and like it was uh it was a really easy game to develop you know there's one scene um and i just i'm just swapping out uh different breakfasts to make up, like, uh, however many breakfasts there are, I forget, to be honest with you, I think, like, uh, I think there's, like, a week of breakfasts that you have to eat or something, I can't remember, but, yeah, I mean, you know, it's a super quick turnaround, and, like, because all the mechanics were just there, like, already, um, you know, I'd already ha- I already had this tech demo, which I'd spend a little bit of time setting up. But I forget how long I was uh, spending on that one, but it wasn't an awful lot of time. And so it was basically just a case of just dropping content into this central mechanic, really.
0: Right. And did that game do uh, well for you? Uh,
1: I, it gave me like I was surprised at the uh, interest that it was generated from it I can't say that it was a massive commercial success because you know it it just wasn't Um, it got a lot of uh, had a lot of eyes on it though you know I had some uh, fairly significant YouTubers play it and enjoy it I think Um, you know I had a lot of positive uh, press about it as well Um, it didn't translate into sales like you might expect but you know it was it was like my first push to say like hey you know, people seem to be interested in this. People seem to sort of like what I'm coming up with as work. Um, you know, let's, let's continue on down this path. Hmm.
0: Right, and uh, your next game, uh, uh, I got I don't... I'm not exactly sure how to pronounce this, so...
1: Aluminaski. Uh,
0: there we go, Aluminaski.
1: <laughs> oh, like... like, yeah, a lot. Sorry, go on.
0: Which is a portmanteau of the Illuminati and ASCII. Characters. Correct.
1: Correct. Yes. So,
0: yeah. So uh, this looks like kind of uh, an FPS with ASCII characters.
1: That's exactly right. Okay. So
0: how did you come up with this?
1: So that one actually came out of a game jam as well. Uh, I was taking part in the seven-day FPS challenge,
0: uh-huh.
1: Uh and um, I was like, okay, well. To make a FPS in seven days, what is like? How do I cut the scope for that? Uh, You know, I'm I'm obsessed with scope. You you get me talking about scope, and I'm never sharp about it. But um, to be concise, I was like, okay, so uh, in the old days uh, and today. To some extent as well, uh, the way that you would cut scope in a game uh, would be, you know, uh, well, it was necessary in some in some instances. But like, you know, you for a rogue like a big varied roguelike with lots of mechanics, uh, one way to cut scope is that you just don't have graphics, so things are just uh, represented by you know, numerical uh, alpha numerical characters. Um, so I was like, well, what if I apply that design principle to an FPS? Um, and it just sort of, and, you know, I'm a big NetHack, uh, Dungeon Crawl Stone Soup, you know these sort of think games. I'm a big fan of those types of games as well. So um, th- th- that was that was the design philosophy they grew out of, basically.
0: Yeah, and uh, like I see that there's roguelike elements here. I'd like aside from well, the ASCII characters. Yes. Uh,
1: yes. So uh, it, it was very bare bones when it was. Uh, uh, submitted for the game jam, you know, there was no textures. Um, it was simply uh, primitives, you know, just big cubes everywhere that made up the level. Um, and I did have generated guns in it at that point, but it was, um, you know, they were truly random. Like, you know, they would, yeah, you might get a gun that would shoot once every ten seconds, and <laughs> this sort of thing. Uh, so that got refined out a bit but um, but yeah, as time went on I wanted to put more and more roguelike elements into it I don't think it really got all the way there like the way uh, I really wanted it to be but um, I'd been working on it for like two years and I was like, this, this, this goes to the door at this point Otherwise, I'm going to be doing it forever. I'm going to be depressed. I'm going to you know, hate this game. Um, and I'll, you know, I'm never going to want to look at it again. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, it, it, I had to cut the scope at the end of it to just get out of the door, basically, just for my own sanity, more than anything else. Well,
0: um, was there anything in particular that was giving you problem, or was it just you know the overall overall um, gestalt of the game?
1: It was. It was just uh, you know, it was early on in my development career, I suppose, if you want to give it an overly grandiose title. And um, I, as I said, I've been working on it for two years and I was spending like, I was, I was in full-time employment at that point. So I'd go to work, I'd work for eight hours, then I'd come home and I'd do like, you know, up to another eight hours on Luminaski and then I'd go to sleep and then, you know, the cycle would repeat, and it was just that constantly over and over and over, just to make some kind of progress with it, you know, because, like, if if I was only working on it on the weekends, you know, um, it would have never come out. Um, So, yeah, it was just, like, this awful grind that I was putting myself through just to try and finish the damn thing. Hmm.
0: Makes sense. And speaking about that, um, were there any features that you
1: uh didn't you implement this game that you wish that you had uh, not so much features but i think i would have liked to uh, uh made uh it more deep you know like more interactable stuff more um mm-hmm. more net hack elements really basically you know i'd like to stolen a, a good deal more um uh, design features from Nehag really and just make it like um, a very deep and rich experience which uh, you know it, it, it didn't turn out to be in the end it was you know a very light roguelike um, but um, I think you know uh, at the time I probably couldn't have done anything differently because uh, that was just sort of the, the way of my life was at that point so you know I don't regret that time you know I don't, I don't think it's a bad game I think like if I made it today it would be completely different, like, you know, I think it'd be unrecognisable, mm-hmm. uh, but uh, it, it, it is what it is, you know, and uh, one of my one of my big uh, things in sort of game dev is I've always wanted to be like, you know, here's the game I'm, I'm going to put it out there, it's going to stand or it's going to fall on its own merits and, you know, that's, that, that it is what it is, you know, uh, and people will either like it or they won't like it, you know, uh, I can't control how other people feel about my games, really. And, and, you know, there's always going to be positivity and negativity. I have to say, like, uh, overall, it's been probably the most positive experience of my life. So, you know, no complaints from here, really. Okay. And,
0: uh, so how did... Uh, where does the Illuminati aspect come into play here?
1: <laughs> so, um I was searching for a theme of the game. And... um I'd been struggling a little bit with uh, not full-blown paranoia, but, you know, paranoid thoughts. And um, it was just something that I'd always had a little bit of interest as well anyway, about, like, the whole conspiracy aspect. Um, Not that I believe, particularly any uh, conspiracy theories, but, like, you know, it's an interesting subject and they're, they're, they're interesting things to read about. Or at least I do anyway, um, and uh, it 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 just happened. It just all came together for me. Really, more than else, there was there was um, there wasn't really like an eureka moment or anything. It was just uh, it just gradually formed over time, and then uh, I named it Illuminati and away it went.
0: Oh, uh- a specific question, has anyone ever bugged you about connections to the actual Illuminati or you know, conspiracy theory types? Constantly.
1: Um, the first day of its release on Steam, um, the discussion forums on Steam for the store page, um, the lunatics took over the asylum. Um, I couldn't moderate it. It was just like a complete, you know, uh, like, There's like a lot of bomb going off. <laughs> um, so, like, basically, steam in a nutshell. Uh, well, I mean, no, like...
0: No, like, Illuminati conspiracy theor-
1: theorists in a nutshell. Uh, uh it was just, just complete lunatics. Um, so, <laughs> not that I want to, you know, insult my customers or anything. Cause they, you know, that they, they I only were my customers, but it just became completely unmodable, and I was like, "There's nothing I could do about this." You know, there's only so many threads I could delete per minute. So, I don't, I not know. Like, and it was, it was uh, the timing wasn't great because when I started it and when it became like an Illuminati themed, there wasn't like this big. Illuminati meme going on uh, which there was at the time and everyone was like oh this guy's just making memes and stuff I was like well well, I, I never really addressed it because I just could be bothered but uh, uh, had I I would have said well you know it, it started more, like two, more than two years ago and it's just unfortunate that this seems to be like the big meme that's going on at the time but uh, you know what can you do? Uh, it's
0: less meme and more conspiracy nut job theory that's been going on for oh geez 19th century
1: oh uh, yeah and the rest I'd have to say well with like you know stone masons and yeah, this sort of thing
0: yeah all that kind of thing I'm like yeah anything like uh, with Illuminati and is just gonna bring them out
1: <laughs> <laughs> which is fine you know they, yeah, they're, they're, they're uh, entitled to uh, play games and uh, give their opinions on it as as much as anyone, but you know, there's just... Um, yeah, yeah it, was a, it was a rough time on the forums. <laughs> I can
0: imagine. It doesn't surprise me at all. Yeah, yeah. Uh, right, so uh, let's move on to your um, your, I guess now, latest project?
1: Uh, Dead End uh, Road here? Yeah, my latest release, yeah.
0: In fact, that this came out uh, just a couple days ago, I
1: believe. Mm hmm. Yep, came out on last Friday. Okay. And, alright, for for the uninitiated, what is Dead End Road? Okay, so um, Dead End Road is an atmospheric driving game um, where the central premise is that, excuse me, uh, you are. uh, Conducting a ritual uh, in order to gain a wish from these like demonic powers, I guess. Uh, but you know, predictably, it all goes wrong. Uh, the demonic powers are like sort of breaking through into your world, uh, and you have to return to Dead End Road where you originally learned of the uh, ritual and uh, be saved, if you like, by um, the old woman who originally told you of the ritual, which grants a wish.
0: Yeah, mm. uh, I played this for about two, uh, like, um, two hours or so. Sure, sure. And I really never encountered a game quite like this. Like, <laughs> well, it's basically <laughs> I, a survival yeah, horror driving game.
1: Yeah, I suppose so, yeah.
0: Well, you know, because, and I mean that in a very literal sense, because you're trying to survive the road and you know you know most of the gameplay is involving uh going down um uh these dark roads and various weather effects are going on and you have to dodge traffic you have to dodge obstacles and you, at the same time this game also has uh sanity effects
1: mm-hmm. yep that's correct
0: so uh, so as you keep going and if you don't like buy medicine or whatever You see a lot more hallucinations, and like uh, there are times when the thing, where the gameplay will stop, and a event will happen. And I haven't beaten the game yet. You know, it's like, uh, but uh, like I'm honestly not sure how you measure progress in this game because you know a lot of it is all procedurally generated, correct?
1: Yeah, yes, correct. I mean, the roads change and the events change and uh, certain things in the towns change as well. But yeah, yeah, you know, I wanted it I wanted it to be hard. Um, you know, I wanted it to be uh, for short runs. So like, you know, the idea was like you can complete it uh, in an hour. Uh, sorry, you can complete it in like half an hour, but um, you won't necessarily see everything that there is to see in that half an hour. Uh, so um yeah, so you know, it's it's technically a short game although there are like uh, I have got this uh, procedurally generating ending system as well which uses um your original wish as like the basis. Um and also there are like secret endings to find as well. So, you know, it's like, you know, uh a bit like the binding of Isaac, you know, unlocking content as you go, I suppose. Right, right. And
0: um what made you want to do a
1: driving Um, I was, I was just like, okay, got to do my next game, what's it going to be about? And I was like, well, is there, like, any genre which, like, isn't completely saturated? And I was just, like, randomly jamming together uh, different genre fragments uh, for games in my head, and I was like, horror driving game? Could you do a horror driving game? And I was like, I'll give it a try. Uh, I, was, you know, I was thinking you just like, put stuff on a wall and just was throwing dart b- at it. <laughs> whatever, whatever two things ate was what you were going for. It's definitely a mental equivalent of having.
0: <laughs> yeah. And it's worth noting that this is a driving game and not a racing game.
1: Correct. It was originally a racing game, but the feedback I got was that the timing, or uh, like the countdown timer, was like really frustrating. And it was, uh, you know, people said, you know, I want to be able to have the time to explore the route and this sort of thing. And I said, yeah, fair enough. So I just took the timer out basically. Yeah, I think it works better
0: as a uh, you know a driving game as opposed to you know racing some way or. Yeah. No, yeah,
1: like, I think like a racing uh, horror game would be yeah, a, a different beast altogether.
0: Yeah, because it, this feels like you're trying to survive the night um, against these terrible forces versus, you know, racing against, say, the zombie Red Baron or whatever.
1: <laughs> that could be good as well. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, oh, I,
0: I don't doubt it, but as you mentioned, that would be a very different game.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I don't know how horrific that is. I mean, you know, I, I never really intended for uh, it, uh, it Road to be, like, you know, uh, Outlast or anything, you know. But I did want it to be atmospheric, you know. That that was the, the goal I was looking for there. Well,
0: it's certainly atmospheric, you know, uh, as, even with its uh, low-fidelity visuals, like... Uh, yeah. This game reminds me of something I would have played, um, say, Circa in nineteen ninety-two, yeah, on yep. A, uh, you know, on a DOS system.
1: Yeah, definitely, and you know, that was that was what I was going for, um, mm. and that was really a scope decision more than anything else, you know, just to, again, to be able to finish something on my own because you know I do do, uh, all all of my development in a in a little bubble on my own, um, so you know I had to I had to make, uh good decisions on where I'm going to cut the scope of any, any, any one product, basically.
0: Right, and, um, well, it's like when you're done right, this can actually work really well, work really well with, uh, horror games because everything's abstracted.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and that, you know, that helps with, because I always said, uh, well, not said, but thought that, uh, you know, the best part of any game, any game at all, always happens in the user's mind anyway. Um because it's always interesting to see uh, people's interpretations of things. And one of my big goals as a developer is to enable people to be able to interpret things and not just, like, lay everything out on the table and go, this is exactly what's going on, this is exactly the role which you're playing, and, you know, there's no, uh, there's no room for, like, imagination, if you like. So, you know, I'm always trying to give people space to breathe in terms of uh, what they want to interpret the game as. Right. And uh, was
0: there any particular reason you went for uh, procedural generation versus like uh, building levels?
1: Um, I thought that if I wanted people to run through the game more than once, mm-hmm. then I was going to have to have some sort of element of variation that was going on with it. And I think like, um, you know, uh, I didn't want people to be going through the game using road memorization, so the obvious way was to change the roads in between levels, uh, not at random, but you know, to um, to just change up every every drive, and and that extends to the events which occur on the road as well.
0: Mm. Makes sense, makes sense. And uh, how long did you uh, spend uh, working on this?
1: Uh, so originally, I it was in development for four months, I think, um, and I released in January on itch, um, and then I took a couple of weeks off, and I also did a Games Expo uh, mm-hmm. in March of this year, um, which I brought it along to, and then I decided that... I was going to put a little bit more uh, time into the development, uh, because at that point it had been greenlit on Steam. Um, So I was like, I'm going to take a bit more time to develop it. So I basically, from April to up to the release, uh, I was putting more development time into it, basically. So that's like nearly nearly nine months, I guess, now. Hmm. Like, uh, and... What did
0: you do to improve uh, the Steam
1: version? So, I mean, and the the Itch version is the same as the Steam version. So, you know, all the the previous Itch customers have got the exact same updates that Steam has had. But um, it was content and um, a lot of bug fixes (laughs) Uh, and um, just, like, gameplay tweaks and polish, really, more than anything else.
0: Hmm and uh, well this game went through uh, steam greenlight uh, can you illuminate us on the on how that process works
1: uh so it's a popularity contest um i don't think i'm going to be surprised on anyone when i say that um but it's also it's i think it's purposely uh, not unfairly but i think it's purposely obfuscated by valve as well um I don't think anyone really understands how that, uh, how the green light process works. Um, I think it's just a point of, like, if a game has got, like, a massive buzz around it and, you know, you're getting thousands of hits every day for it, then, you know, Valve click the big uh, green, green, green light button to, like, to say, yes, okay, you're in. If you don't have that massive buzz, then I think it's, like... Uh, and this is just purely speculation, uh, my boy, because I have to say I genuinely don't know, um, mm. is that, you know, it it stays on there for a period. And then if a Valve employee sees it one day and thinks, yeah, that seems all right, then they say yes, it's greenlit uh, because there doesn't seem to be any particular, um, uh, what would you call it, uh, a relationship between the number of votes you get and whether you get greenlit or not. But as I say, that's like purely speculation. I genuinely don't know. Yeah, I, I think at this point it's just a
0: rubber stamp because uh, you know the, the green light process is very easy, from what I understand these days. You know, it certainly would explain how a lot of stuff ends up onto the Steam Store. Uh,
1: mm.
0: You know, these days.
1: Yeah, I don't know. I mean, like I, I have to admit, there's been a lot of stuff on Steam that I, I look at and I think who voted for this Uh, but uh, at the same time look at some of my work and say that so uh, I genuinely don't know I think there's a lot of people out there and I think that um, the problem with Greenlight really more over than anything else is just that um, a lot of the time it's just like you have to infer a lot you have to assume a lot about the game and a lot of people's assumptions probably uh, don't meet up to the actual product Right. So, like, they're imagining a much better product in their head. Um, but, I, you know, I, I, I would have to say that I know as much about it as you, <laughs> frankly. <laughs> in, in, indeed.
0: Uh,
1: I'm like, and, uh,
0: so, did the game command any visibility on Steam when it got released uh, a couple days ago?
1: Yeah, yeah, I, you know, I got a good amount of hits. Uh, it's been doing all right. Unfortunately, I was... Uh, Pushed out of the popular new releases at the weekend by, um, mm-hmm. oh, what the, uh, I forget what it's called. got, some sort of, uh, utility thing which took up like, somehow it took up like six slots oh, on the yeah. popular. I remember. And like, so that, that actually knocks me out of the, uh, popular new releases which I was in, um, so that has reduced visibility a little bit, but, uh, you know, you know, these, these things are what they are, um, and, um, this was always like the second bite of the cherry if you like for me anyway because as I say it was released in January originally anyway um right. so it's not a new game by any state of the imagination but you know, yeah you know it's been it's been fine I would have liked to stay in the uh, popular new releases because that does drive drive sales obviously but um just one of those things unfortunately
0: mm-hmm. uh, believe me I, I I've heard the story before you know it's like people <laughs> getting knocked out uh of the popular new releases are not even making that. Mm. Uh, So, you know, yeah, it is what it is until Valve actually, you know, designs a UI that allows for more games, I suppose.
1: Yeah, you know, and I think there's, you know... Or separate out utilities. That would be another good thing. Well, I mean, you know, how many people want to see these utilities in their front page of Steam, I don't know. Um, But, you know... uh, not that I want to bite the hand of fees, feeds, obviously. Because um, <laughs> you know they are my main size of income, so you know I don't want to be too heavily critical of Valve. You know they uh, they did, in fairness, single-handedly save PC gaming to a, a like large degree. So uh, you know it is what it is at the end. Of it. It's a cost of doing business, is the way. Hmm.
0: All right, and uh, so we're getting low on time here, so just a couple more questions. Uh, indeed, uh, can
1: you tell us anything about your next project? Sure, yeah. So um,
0: I have actually
1: got the new game basically ready to go. Um, it's a card-based life sim. Uh, so basically it's called uh, Carpe Diem, and um, it's basically... I generate you a character uh, at the start of the game and you play out that character's uh, life uh, via the medium of a card game and I'm doing a lot of generational events uh, in that character's life which has um, you know, positive and negative effects on this big old long list of stats that I've given the player uh, and the, the goal of the game effectively is um, to reach the top of the hierarchy of needs which are based on Marlowe's hierarchy of needs, I think. Yes. Um, So, uh, yeah, so again, it's another game where I'm using a lot of procedural generation. It's designed for, again, short runs. This seems to be the sort of game that I enjoy making, um, but it's also in that, like, life sim-type arena, if you like. Mm I think I know
0: what you're talking about. It's like... uh and, well, uh, what still has to be done
1: on the game? Very little. It's, it's basically ready for release. I've just been concentrating on Dead End Road's release, uh, as I say, for the past few months. Uh, and so I guess it'll be a little bit polished, and then it'll be a kick out the door for it. Right.
0: Well, hopefully we can uh, review the game when it
1: comes out. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Right.
0: Um, uh, anything beyond uh, Carpe Diem? in the works
1: um, I've been trying I've been putting a few together a few prototypes recently but nothing's really stuck so uh, we'll just have to see I suppose
0: okay alright um, uh, thank you for being with us today thank you for having me yeah uh, it was a wonderful interview uh, yeah, hopefully we'll have you on, on the show again at some point in the future Paul
1: sure no problem
0: all right, uh, and that'll about do it for this installment of Fragments of Silicon. Uh, and uh, coming up tomorrow, uh, we have uh, Rob Waters, uh, who is a, a very storied veteran in the industry. Uh, he's been a concept artist uh, who worked on things like System Shock, Bioshock, Freedom Force, uh, and so on and so forth, and yeah, he, he's looking to be working on the System Shock remake. Um, and uh, looking forward to that. That's an interview that's probably going to take the whole uh, show, but if it doesn't, we'll, we'll be talking about the Mighty Number no. 9 as well. And until tomorrow, I wish you good gaming.